and you don't even really know why you're here. You don't even know why you show up to Salt Company. But there's this tug inside of you right around 7.45 every Thursday night, and you show up not because you believe, because you're wondering, just wondering, if that God is real, would he want to be with someone as broken as me? See, here's the hope that I have for all of us tonight. Whether you're thinking about that person in your life that you're like, there's no way that they could come to know God, or you're thinking about yourself, here's the good news that I have from Mark 2 that the only one who decides who gets into the kingdom of God is King Jesus himself. Which means even the people in your life or the people that you're thinking about that can never come to know Jesus, the good news for that person is that Jesus is the one who decides, not even them. That even if they look in the mirror and they say, I could never know God, God wants to know them. Look with me to verse 14 as Jesus decides who is qualified Guys, I'm not going to lie, I did a bit of a Bible hack. I cut the verse in half, okay? Don't normally do that, but for the sake of suspense and story, I, I did that. So verse 14, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Okay, I want you to imagine that you're Levi, okay? You are literally sitting in your tax booth. The one thing that symbolizes how disqualified you are from God. The one thing that shows how broken you are. But it's also the thing that gives you your status, your significance, and your security. And while you're sitting in that tax booth, you actually hear murmurs that Jesus is coming. Now, you've heard of Jesus before, okay? You've heard him do some crazy things. That he would actually cast out demons. That he would shut the mouth of demons. That he would touch the untouchable and heal the unhealable. And you're thinking to yourself, there is no way that someone like Jesus would want to talk to me. And so you sit at your tax booth. You don't leave it to go find Jesus. You sit right there, and then Jesus walks by you. And in verse 14, it says that he saw Levi. He looked directly into your eyes. And what Jesus saw was disappointment. Because Levi had everything this world could offer him. And it still left him dry and empty. Jesus looked directly into Levi's eyes and said two words that would redirect the life of Levi. He said, follow me. I want you to notice that Jesus, in this moment, doesn't give Levi a to-do list. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not like, hey, Levi, you're in the tax booth, but like, hey, go take a shower, go clean yourself up, memorize the Torah, and then you can follow me. He doesn't say, hey, Levi, go be better, be a better moral example, and then you can follow me. All Jesus does is he looks at Levi right in the middle of his sin, right in the middle of his brokenness, literally sitting in the tax booth that would define his entire life before he met Jesus. He looks him directly in the eyes, and he says, follow me. Would walk away from the tax booth. See, Saul Company, what I want to show you from last week to this week, that in Mark chapter 5, we learned about a woman who risked her life to get to Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, we learned about a man who had to give up everything in his previous life to follow him. And here's what I want you to understand from this story. This is not like a fun, Instagrammable truth. It's just raw. That following Jesus is insanely costly. See, here's what happened to Levi. He was sitting in his tax with the one thing that gave him status, significance, and security. 
And Jesus calls him out of that and says, leave that if you want to follow me. Here's the uncomfortable, not cool truth about Christianity. That when Jesus says, follow me, he doesn't say, follow me and bring your booth. He doesn't say, follow me and bring your own stuff. He doesn't say, follow me and bring your own accolades and everything you put your life in. He says, follow me and leave behind all of that. The Christian life is insanely costly. And if I can be honest, the one thing that I'm afraid of for our ministry the most, that I think, that I think about every night before I go to bed, is I am really afraid that some of you would come to Saul Company this week, next week, next month, maybe for the rest of the year, and maybe for the four years that you're in college, and you would think that Christianity is cool, that you would think that following Jesus was easy, that it was trendy and something fun to do on Thursday nights, but that you'd never experience the cost of discipleship to him. And one day, the coolness of Christianity fades away. Like, I'll just be honest. I know, I'm such a buzzkill tonight, guys. What's up? One day, suffering's going to hit. And you're going to lose someone you love. And you're going to hit a patch of depression that you cannot get yourself out of. You're going to question everything about God. And if following Jesus was cool and just cool, then you won't understand why you're going through that suffering. But if following Jesus... It's about cost. It's about giving up your previous life to follow him. Then you'll realize that suffering is innately a part of the Christian life. So I'll come in. When Jesus says, follow me, here's what he means, literally. He means walk the same road that I walk on. Let's do just like a logic experiment. What did Jesus do? What is the one thing that Jesus Christ is known for 2,000 years later? Being hung on, hung on a cross. If you want to follow Jesus, you will follow the road of sacrifice even up to death on a cross because that's what your Savior did. This is the unpopular, uncool truth about Christianity, but it's worth it, and I'll talk about that later. Okay, so that happens, which is crazy, okay? But then Jesus does this like kind of weird, religiously off-putting thing, okay? Which I know I'm not supposed to judge Jesus. I get it, even though I've done this two weeks in a row. But look with me to verse 15. He does this really weird thing where he reclines at a table in his house. His house was actually Levi's. Like, Levi follows him, and he's like, hey, come over. So then Jesus does. Where many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to him, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, I love in verse 15, where it says Jesus was reclining. Okay, this is a fun mental picture. He was like laying down on his side, okay? And here's why I love that. It's because everyone else in that room was disqualified. Does that make sense? For all those people, tax collectors and sinners, every other religious teacher they ever met was like, no, 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 get out of my house. And then Jesus was like, okay, I'll come in. He was different in the way that he approached these tax collectors and sinners. And I, I love the word recline because he showed that it was comfortable around them, that he actually loved being with them. One of the things about the Christian life that is hard to understand is how much Jesus loves loving broken people. Makes no sense. Like, guys, 
Be honest. If someone's in your life and they're like super broken, you can say you love them, but it is hard to love hurting people. Why? Because hurt people hurt people, right? But Jesus looks at broken people and says, no, you can't hurt me because I made you. So I'm going to be with you forever. Jesus Christ loves loving broken people. He reclines with people that are disqualified. This is what Jesus does. And then the Pharisees were just like rich, not rich. They're not rich. They're religious Jews, hyper-religious Jews that became teachers of the law. They look at Jesus and says, wait, wait, Jesus, don't you know that those people that you're reclining with are the disqualified ones? Don't you know that those people are outside of the love of God? And then verse 17 might be like the best clap back in human history, okay? He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, here's an observation I want you to understand. If you read the four gospel narratives, here's what you learn. That broken, sinful, diseased people love Jesus, but religious people hate him. Okay, so the question is why? Here's why. Sick people know and love the healing touch of Jesus, but people who think they're healthy hate being told they're sick. See, the reason why Jesus pissed off religious leaders in the first century is because he was trying to communicate something. That in Mark chapter 2, there are two types of sick people. One is the one who's outwardly sick, like Levi, where he's like, dude, I know I'm broken. I know I'm disqualified. I know that I sin way too much, and I'm broken way too much for the love of God. And then there's another type of sick person that has cancer but pretends like they don't. And so I'll come in. here's what Jesus is pointing out, and here's what's true about the story of the Bible and the story of humanity, that we are all sick. Every single human being in the history of humanity has been sick, and every human being has two choices. One, you can raise your hand and say, I'm sick and I need healing, and get up on the surgery bed, and King Jesus will do great surgery on you, and it will be insanely costly and insanely painful, but it will be worth it. Or you can have cancer and pretend like you're not sick. And so I'll come in. here's one of the most broken parts about the evangelical church in America. It is full of people who think they're healthy. It is full of people who think that middle class means maturity. It is full of people that think that if their outward appearance is cleaned up enough that they're healthy. But Saul Company, here's the type of ministry that we're gonna be. We're not an art gallery of beautiful people. We are an ER room of broken people going to the feet of Jesus to be healed. That's what we're going to be. And so if you're here and you're like, man, I'm healthy. I don't need Jesus. This is a word for you. You may be blinded from the reality that you are in need of a Savior, and that is the most dangerous place to be where you think you're healthy, but you're dying of cancer. But if you're here and you're like, man, I'm broken. I need something. Here's the good news for you, that Jesus never turns away any patience. Okay, so let's go back to the original question. What disqualifies you from knowing God? In order to answer that, I'm going to rephrase that and say, what qualifies you for knowing God? Here's what Mark 2 teaches us, that the one thing that you thought of when you thought of what disqualified you from knowing God or getting into the presence of Jesus, the one thing you thought of for your friend who was too far gone for the grace of God, the one thing that came to your mind is not the thing that disqualifies you from the presence of God but the one thing that qualifies you for it. And here's why. 
is because the express purpose of Jesus coming to earth was not to make good people better. It was to make broken people beautiful. So here's what this text teaches us, that he came not for the righteous, but the sinners. He came not for the healthy, but the sick. In other words, he did not come to make good people better. He came to make dead people alive and sinners to saints. So the one thing that you've thought of as you walked into this room tonight of why you're not able to enter into the presence of God, the porn addiction that you cannot shake, the depression that is hurting you so much and you can't even imagine a future where you'll be healthy again, the judgmentalism in your heart, the lack of softening to the gospel, whatever you think is in your heart, the anger towards God because something radically painful has happened in your life, Whatever it is that you thought of that disqualifies you from the presence of God is the single thing that qualifies you to get into the ER room tonight. And Jesus will do surgery on your soul. So as I call the worship band back up, here's what I want to show you as the beauty of this text. That Levi, in order to follow Jesus, had to leave the one thing, the tax booth, that gave him status, significance, and security. But the beauty of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ, in order to get to Levi, would actually be stripped of his status, significance, and his security. This is the beauty of the cost of the gospel. The Christian life is insanely expensive, but you don't pay the ultimate cost. Here's what Jesus did for you on the cross so that you could get a way in. He was stripped of his status, significance, and security so that you could leave that old tax booth behind. That thing that used to give you life, that thing that used to give you an identity, that thing that used to give you freedom. Jesus says, leave that behind because I've got something so much better. I've got my status, my significance, and my security. And he gets stripped of that on the cross so that he can give it to you fully. See, the reason why paying the cost of following Jesus is worth it is because you may have to leave the tax booth, but you inherit the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus himself. So it's worth it. I remember this one moment where I was processing this, like, Oh, I just feel disqualified from entering into the presence of God. And I remember three years ago where I first hopped on to ministry staff where I was like doing a bunch of holy things, you know, preaching, leading, whatever. And it had been weeks since I had spent time with Jesus. Can you just taste the irony in that? It's like, go be with Jesus and then, and then I don't. And here's why. It's because I was in a season of my life where I was processing a lot of brokenness within me. A lot of my sin, a lot of my inability to just get humble at the feet of Jesus and go to him. And so I felt this immense guilt and shame that because I had spent time with Jesus, that he was disappointed in me, that I was disqualified to enter into his presence. And I remember this one moment where I was just processing this because I was like, man, my, my, my life is messed up. Like, I'm a, I'm a walking irony here. And I remember looking out to Jesus, and I remember him telling me, the thing that I feel like disqualifies me from his presence is the exact thing that allows me to weep at his feet. The thing that I find so broken about myself is the exact thing that qualifies me for him. And instead of anger, I got gentleness. Instead of brokenness, I got him. So I'll come to, here's my invitation for you tonight. If you're looking for a place, like an art gallery, and you're coming to Saul Company because it's cool and because you want your life to look perfect on the outside and you want to have the perfect Instagrammable life, here's my invitation for you. Ditch all that crap. It's not worth it. Go to the ER room of grace. I want to end this way. 
Levi in this story was a tax collector who was disqualified from knowing God, and yet God went to the disqualified to redeem him. But what you don't read in this text is that this same man, Levi, actually becomes Matthew. And I don't know if you've heard of Matthew, but he wrote the first book in the New Testament, that Matthew. How cool is that? Come on, the Bible's amazing. Like, yeah, that's amazing. Jesus is so good. So from tax collector to apostle, Jesus redeems this man who is disqualified from God and makes him one of the greatest apostles in human history. That's transformation of the gospel. And so he begins to hear, follow me, and he follows Jesus to the point of death. See, many years later, after many years on the mission field, after many years of writing one of the canonical gospels and sharing of the ways that Jesus Christ redeemed his soul, Matthew 2 would follow the path of Jesus and would pay the ultimate cost. And much like his savior, not on a cross, but this time on spears, Matthew would be killed. And I gotta imagine, as the people drove spears into his body, I gotta imagine that he would have been telling them about this type of grace, that once he was a tax collector, but Jesus made him an apostle. Once he was a sinner, but Jesus made him a saint. Once he was dead, but Jesus brought him to life. Once he was broken, but he has been made beautiful, which means even the ones impaling the spears into his body could get to know a God like that. If God can do that for Levi to Matthew, he can do that for any of you in this room. Whatever you've come in here with tonight, the brokenness in your life, the pain in your past, the sin that you're struggling with, nothing can disqualify you from the grace of God because Jesus Christ bought that qualification with the blood on the cross. You are invited in tonight, so follow him and listen to his words. You're invited in. Let me pray. Father, I'm so thankful that our qualification doesn't come from what we do. All we do is bring in our broken bodies, our broken souls, and we get wheeled into the ER room. And Jesus, I love the fact that you came not to make good people better, but to make broken people beautiful. Not to make righteous people more religious, but to bring death people to life. From sinners to saints, from broken to beautiful, Jesus, this is the work that you do on the cross. And so Father, tonight we go into the ER room and as you take out the scalpel, as you do surgery on our souls, I pray that all of us would feel the relief that although following Jesus is painful, although following Jesus is costly, it's worth it. Because Jesus, you paid the ultimate cost so that we could know you. So now, Jesus, I pray that many of us would leave the old tax booths and run to you. In your name we pray. Amen.